0: Welcome to Problematic Women, a podcast and Facebook live show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the feminist left. My name is Kelsey Harkness. I'm a senior news producer here with The Daily Signal.
1: And I'm Brie Payton, staff writer at The Federalist and friend of The Daily Signal.
0: Today we'll talk about safe spaces for women and why they're no longer allowed. We'll talk about a horrific story of an arranged marriage gone wrong here in the United States, Cardi B's take on tax reform, and Planned Parenthood's horrible idea for the next Disney princess. We'll also talk about
1: Walmart's decision to pull Cosmopolitan magazines from the checkout aisles, talk with a grandmother who started a group in Colorado to help teachers and school staff be armed, and of course, we'll crown our problematic woman of the week.
0: But first, we unfortunately have to address this elephant in the room. Her name is Stormy Daniels, and she's captured the nation's attention this week.
1: I was in a parking lot going to a fitness class with my infant daughter. I was taking, you know, the seats facing backwards in the back seat, diaper bag, you know, getting all the stuff out. And a guy walked up on me and said to me, leave Trump alone, forget the story. And then he leaned around and looked at my daughter and said, it's a beautiful little girl it would be a shame if something happened to her mom. And then he was gone. You took it as a direct threat absolutely i was rattled i remember going into the workout class and my hands are shaking so much i was afraid i was going to drop her
0: so stormy daniels is claiming that she's going public with her story to set the record straight And her lawyer says they have a mountain load of evidence to prove her case. But both are really teasing the media by not actually releasing any of this evidence, which I guess is something Stormy (laughs) is familiar and an expert at doing. What I found interesting this week is that Megyn Kelly actually decided to wade into the scandal, tweeting, and let's not forget about this, from Corey Lewandowski, who threatened me, If I had dared show up at the second Fox News debate, sound familiar? Hashtag Stormy Daniels. She tweeted that with a section from her book talking about that um, incident where she said, Um, Quote: He accused me of being unfair for the first time. I thought, is this real or is this for attention? With Trump, you just never know. Sunday, he kept at it. Tweet, tweet, tweet. At the same time, Trump's campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, made a phone call to Bill Salmon and tried to get me booted off the debate team. When Salmon told him that I was out of the question... Lewandowski threatened me saying I had a, quote, rough couple of days after that last debate, unquote, and he would, quote, hate to have me go through that again, unquote. Stormy Daniels' attorney has filed an emotion to depose President Trump, and in the media he's saying he is confident it will proceed. Quote, we want to know the truth about what the president knew he said, when he knew it, and what he did about it. The president has, of course, been denying any involvement with Stormy Daniels, but not through his usual method of communication, which is Twitter. However you feel about all these allegations, I'll say one thing is clear. The media is having a field day with its coverage of, of the scandal, the storm, and we're not having some of the more important discussions about the actual policy and legislation that we should be. Our next story highlights a perfect
1: example of feminists only supporting gender inclusion when it's the kind of gender inclusion that they like. So the New York City Commission on Human Rights opened an anti-discrimination commission-initiated investigation into The Wing, which is a private social club and kind of like a co-working space for women who work and who are on on the go uh, in New York City. uh, And it's used by companies like Jezebel. All right, so the company's membership policy, which says that men can't become members or visit as guests, directly conflicts with the commission's mandate to investigate potential violations of the city's human rights law, which forbids businesses that furnish public accommodations, including most private clubs, from discriminating against customers because of their gender. Basically, the left stepped on a pitchfork, or a rake, I guess, is the one that... Springs up and knocks you in the face, and they're now being forced to abide by their own laws. We're all free, we're all for free association, but we can't deny we get some entertainment from this one.
0: For our next that happened story, we wanted to bring attention to a horrific crime that sounds like it happened in a foreign country, but it ap- actually happened here in the United States in our own backyards. According to CBS, a San Antonio family is being accused of beating their 16 year old high school daughter and pouring hot water. Hot oil on her because she refused to accept an arranged marriage where the family got $20,000. The girl had actually ran away from her fo- from her home because of these beatings, according to the police, and was found safe in another city in mid-March. Likely because her parents wanted the money, Um, they actually were the ones who reported her missing. Um, But as it turns out, they had beaten her with broomsticks, choked her almost to the point of unconsciousness, and did some really awful, awful things. Luckily, the girl is now safely in the care of Child Protective Services. Uh, and it's reported that the uh, the family is actually from Iraq and has been in the U.S. for only two years. So this story really um, points out the importance of assimilation and some of the things that happen really regularly in countries like Iraq. Arranged uh, marriage um, is, is quite common in a lot of other countries. I think we forget about that. And when you see it happen in our own backyards, we we see how much of a horrific and unjust situation it really is, and you see these cases and these instances where women really are victims. Absolutely.
1: Cardi B, the feisty rapper who's known for her lack of a filter, went on an amazing rant last week to Uncle Sam, saying she wants to see the receipts for how they spend her hard-earned money. Here's the clip. So you know the government is taking 40% of my taxes and Uncle Sam, I want to know what you're doing with tax money because you know what I'm saying? Like when you donate, like when you donate to a kid from a foreign country, they give you updates of what they're doing with the nation. I want to know what you're doing with my tax money. So last Friday, President Trump signed yet another budgetless short term funding package that would add a significant amount to the national deficit. Uh, The spending package in total is, I believe, $1.3 trillion through the end of the fiscal year. And you know what? It's been nine years since Congress last passed a real budget. So totally get where Cardi B is coming from in all of this.
0: Cardi B has a point. Well, earlier this week, a Planned Parenthood affiliate in Pennsylvania had quite the tweet. Um, They said that we need a Disney princess who has had an abortion... Who has who is pro-choice, who's an undocumented immigrant, who's a union worker, and who's transgender? It's unclear whether Planned Parenthood was calling for multiple different Disney princesses who fit all these identities, or an undocumented transgender Disney princess who is pro-choice, a union worker, and who also got an abortion—all in one. That would be quite the plot twist. But either way. The backlash ensued and it actually spurred the abortion clinic to delete that tweet several hours later. The Planned Parenthood branch has since issued a, a response uh, to some of this backlash and this is what they said, quote, We joined an ongoing Twitter conversation about the kinds of princesses people want to see in an attempt to make a point about the importance of telling stories that challenge stigma and championing stories that too often don't get told. Upon reflecting Election, we decided that the seriousness of the point we we're trying to make was not appropriate for the subject matter or the context, and we removed the tweet. Planned Parenthood believes that pop culture, television shows, m- music, movies, all have a critical role to play in educating the public and sparking meaningful conversation around sexual and reproductive health issues and policies, including abortion. We also know that emotionally authentic portrayals of these experiences are still extremely rare, and that's part of a much bigger lack of honest depictions of certain people's lives and communities. Well, of course, the... Very liberal feminist website Jezebel took this one step Further and said well actually Statistically speaking Two and a half of the Disney princesses that already exist Have gotten an abortion So that's where we are In feminism today Um, And that really wraps up our That Happens segment when we come back We'll move on to our next segment called This is what feminism looks like A segment where we hold up positive Examples of feminism in the world today, and we're back with our segment.
1: This is what feminism looks like, where we hold up positive examples of feminism. So this week, Walmart announced it will no longer display Cosmo magazines near the front uh, around the checkout line, saying that this move was a business decision. So, is this the question? I guess we have here is. Is this a result of the Me Too movement or is this a bunch of prudes? A lot of people are saying this is a move by a bunch of prudes. This is a step backwards in feminism. Other people are saying, no, the Me Too movement in feminism is bubbling up. And this is a positive example of what that looks like. Joy Pullman, my coworker over at the Federalist, writes, the Me Too conversation is a public acknowledgement that the sexual free-for-all third-wave feminists advocated for is a major failure. What there was um what there was of their intellectual movement has proven bankrupt in practice as this reckoning shakes out they're grasping at tyranny to get them out of their loose ethics quicksand in an attempt to make sense of these feelings of betrayal and regret some women who followed these free love script, this free love script, sorry are now falling off the other side of the horse with sex contracts. And in parentheses, Joy writes, formerly called marriage, (laughs) close parentheses, and campus rape tribunals with unknowable rules and frightening outcomes. What's your reaction to all of this? Do you think the move to pull uh, Cosmo magazines from the shelves, from near the Walmart checkout stands, is a step in the positive direction for feminism? Or do you think it's a step backwards by a bunch of, you know, Puritans
0: (laughs) who hate sex? I think that this was the right move. I think Joy wrote a great piece. I'd encourage you all to read it in The Federalist. I can't help but laugh at this story because you really do have the old version of feminism. The sex in colliding. the city, third yes. wave feminism. Sexual liberation. Um Women's liberation, sexual freedom, colliding with the hashtag Me Too movement. And the result is really inconvenient. And I don't think feminists can quite answer um, what they want out of these. I, I, I'm going to brand a new term here. So we often hear the term intersectional feminism talked about on the left. Well, This situation right here, ladies and gentlemen, is a example of intersectional feminism when old feminism and new feminism intersect, and the result is, Women are only screwing themselves They don't know what they actually want They don't know what's actually good for them They clearly went way too far With their old version of feminism And as Joy points out They're going too far with the Me Too movement In many ways today Where they're now saying Well maybe we need an app on our phones um, To signify consent Because heaven forbid um, They subject themselves to traditional marriage And traditional dating norms So I think feminists have caught themselves in quite the pickle with this one, and I really can't help but laugh. Ultimately, I think this is the right decision, though, because if you've never picked up a Cosmopolitan magazine before, they are really, really vulgar. Um, I don't, I, I, I don't, I, I can't even think of the way to describe what they promote in the content. Um, but it's just not something that I think a lot of parents want their children seeing. In a store, they go to get their groceries. What are your thoughts?
1: So I actually like Cosmo magazine. Um, I read it, you know, from time to time when I'm getting my nails done. And I do read the raunchier things and the raunchier tips uh, in the magazine just because I think it's fun um to read all of
0: that. Uh, I have nothing against that. It's just a question of whether you need it in your face at the yeah, Walmart checkout. Yeah. So, aisle. I've
1: been honestly, I've been a little bit conflicted about this. I think Walmart's justification saying that this is a business decision definitely makes sense because I mean, for anyone who's ever been to Walmart, the majority of people that are shopping there are families, and I know, you know, when I was growing up, Uh, Sometimes when we were at the checkout stand, my mom would, you know, try to, like, cover up some of the bad (laughs) magazines so we wouldn't see them, right? So I think they're not getting rid of the magazines altogether. They're just not putting them in the checkout stands. They're putting them where the magazines are, you know, in the back next to the greeting cards and whatever. So I think that that's fine, and I think that that makes sense for them to do that. I don't think it's a step backwards um, for feminism, I don't think it really affects women one way or the other, if I'm being perfectly honest.
0: And as Walmart said, first and foremost, this was a business decision. I read that Cosmopolitan's magazine sales have fallen 67% right. in the past couple years. Um, but, but I, I agree with you, and I think that's where, um, I think what you're saying is is where the perspective of conservative women is so often misunderstood and misconstrued when it comes to the left trying to decide, trying to um, communicate how we feel about things. Because it's not that we have a problem with the fact that Cosmopolitan magazine exists. Some of us right. actually consume it. The problem is we don't necess- some of us don't necessarily think that type of content needs to be in the faces of young children and that maybe young children don't need to be exposed to really what is their political agenda. Also, I think,
1: you know, it would make sense for Cosmo to react to that kind of move and say, oh, maybe, you know, we'll clean up some of the content on the front cover. You know what I'm saying? Like they can still keep all of the runchy stuff inside, but maybe just be a little bit more tame on the cover you know, knowing that that's a problem, maybe work if if Walmart really is, which I don't even think that many people are picking up Cosmo magazine at Walmart to begin with. But if this is a huge demographic blow to them, I think that they can maybe work with the retailer, figure out what is appropriate, what's not appropriate, maybe clothe people a little bit more on the cover, maybe don't put, you know, five sex tips that will really get them excited or whatever, (laughs) Uh, or maybe just be a little bit cheekier in those descriptions. I think that that would make sense for Cosmo to do, seeing that, you know, the tide is turning a little bit against them in this case.
0: I agree, Cosmopolitan. The power is in your hands. (laughs) Well, When we come back, we are going to play a special interview that Brie and I did with Laura Carno, who's an activist for arming teachers and staff, staffers in schools. She's the founder of Faster Colorado, a program um, that, that trains school teachers and staffers to conceal carry in the classroom. And she's also a grandmother who is not necessarily buying into this whole feminist agenda.
1: Hi, Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to come to talk to us today. Uh, We so appreciate it. So with everything that's been going on in the news and happening here in Washington last weekend, there was a massive March for Our Lives rally in which, you know, numerous um, young students came out and was pushing for more aggressive gun control laws. What do you think about all of that?
2: Right. And thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. when when bad things happen, I fully understand our ability, just our human um, ability and need to say, we have to fix things. We have to have have some good that comes out of this bad. I think that's a really normal human reaction. Um, What isn't productive is coming up with um, quote unquote solutions that aren't actually solutions. There are lots of things that can make people feel better just to talk about them, but won't actually fix the problem. And that's exactly what's gone on with these marches. They're they're um, coming up with ideas that um, aren't new. Um, the the left has been using them for a long time. They're coming up with these proposed solutions that have been documented not to fix the problem. So they are um, they border on just a PR stunt that's not going to do anything to to make the problem better. Well, we've got some solutions that that could make the problem better.
0: Yeah, Laura, so a lot of people don't know that before Parkland happened, yourself and others like you have been out in Colorado and in other states working for a solution to specifically address these school shootings. Can you tell us more about that?
2: Right, and um, and you're right. These are these are good solutions. The national discussion has finally come up to the level where we've been uh, interested in this for years. So there's a group in Ohio that started a um, a training program five years ago called Faster Saves Lives, and um, they started it in Ohio five years ago for school staff members who are armed on campus. Now these aren't school resource officers. These aren't um, full-time armed security people, they are teachers and janitors and coaches and principals and lunch ladies and bus drivers who also carry concealed on campus so that if, God forbid, something happens, somebody is on scene to stop the killer. And FASTER provides training um, for either free or reduced cost um, where schools can't afford it so that those who are carrying on campus can have access to this life-saving training.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, with the Texas church massacre that so sadly unfolded a couple of months ago, that in that massacre stopped. A good guy with a gun was able to stop that massacre from getting any larger, from taking any more lives. And again, you know, we see these kind of stories all the time where- In
0: Maryland, we just saw.
1: Exactly. There was a foiled school shooting attempt in Maryland because there was a good guy with a gun. I mean, again and again, you read and hear stories uh, about this time and time again. So I'm wondering, you know, approximately how many individuals have you trained, how many um, schools or areas? How big and how widespread has this gotten so far? And what are your goals?
2: Yeah, so, so nationally, the number is really hard to nail down because there are a lot of schools that have staff members who quietly carry sure. with no fanfare, no, uh, no stories in the news. Um, what we can tell you is the people we know about that we've trained uh, in Ohio, where they've been doing this for over five years, they've trained over 1,300 school staff in Ohio Uh, I started the program here in Colorado, Faster Colorado. Um, I started that last year. So this summer, uh, summer of 18, will be our second training season, and we'll be over 100 trained in Colorado on this program. But I can tell you that since it's been law in Colorado for school staff to be armed first responders on their campus for 15 years, there's been lots of folks training them before uh, before I brought faster to Colorado, so it's a hard number to nail down, um, but absolutely um, in the probably the tens of thousands nationwide of armed school staff, that would that would be a, my best guess.
0: Well, I'm not sure why it is, but it seems like there's been a lot of interest in the fact that you are a female leading a program like this. You're a female Second Amendment supporter. You're also a very outspoken conservative. You've written a book. Um, and we are on the podcast, Problematic Women, so we wanted to get your take on being a conservative and really pushing against the grain and being a leader on issues like the Second Amendment that so often the conversation is dominated by men.
2: Yeah, it's such an interesting question. I've never looked at the Second Amendment as a gender-specific uh, issue. But if I were to look at it as a gender-specific issue, I would definitely say that the right to choose our own self-defense is a women's issue. I've, I use the, the line that I am pro-choice on self-defense. You, if, if guns aren't for you, don't own one. That's fine with me. But don't you dare tell me how to defend myself. And the, when you look at statistics on who's buying firearms for the first time, who's getting concealed carry permits. Women are, are really the big group that is um, on the rise in this, um, in this Second Amendment world. You look at organizations like um, the Well-Armed Woman and Fight Like a Girl and all, all these different organizations that are meeting that demand for women gun owners. Um, but I've also never thought of myself as anything but equal in this world and if I have an opinion, um, then I have an opinion regardless of what gender I happened to be um, to be born with, and I'm just going to state my opinion. So I do get a lot of, you know, how does it feel to be a woman in this industry? Um, I'm just happy that the skills that come very naturally to me to communicate with people uh, are turning out to just be very helpful in this world. And if that makes me a problematic woman to some people, then yay for me. <laughs>
1: Uh, You know, a lot of times women on the left specifically and those who consider or call themselves uh, feminists like to tell other women what we should think and what we should believe in, other things like that. So I'm just wondering, you know, do you consider yourself to be a feminist? Uh, And if not, why or why not?
2: Yeah, yeah. And I guess it just depends on what an individual's definition of feminism is. Um, i I have one of my media organizations called I am created equal and it means I, the citizen am created equal to the government official. Um, it's, it's not a matter of gender. So I, I look at, um, people are equal to people. Um, people are more equal, um, when you compare them to government officials because they're not the boss of us. (laughs) Um, but I, I, I don't want to live in a world where we say that one gender is superior to the other gender. And just because, uh, it was unbalanced for um, a period of um, millennia. It, it doesn't mean that we should be turning the tables and um, punishing another gender for, for the sins of, their, of uh, you know, their ancestors. So I just look at people are equal. Um, I, I'm, I'm happy to work with anybody who wants to give us more freedom and less government. Uh, regardless of where they came from or what their gender is, um, so I I don't know that with the traditional definition of feminist that I would fit in fit in with that, but that would be my definition.
0: It's always a difficult question to answer. We wrestle with it on the show <laughs> every week. Well, Laura, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for everything you are doing out in Colorado. If any of our listeners are interested in learning more of their more of your work, where can they go? Sure. If they were
2: interested in the armed staff project, it's fastercolorado.com. And my um, personal website is lauracarno.com. And I um, return everybody's contacts. So if you have a question, just feel free to reach out.
0: Well, thank you, Laura. Thank you. Thanks so much.
1: And we're back, and it's time to crown our problematic woman, of the week. This week, we've picked Roseanne Barr, who's made a triumphant return to primetime television.
2: But most of all, Lord, thank you for making America great again. Mom, no, it's okay, darling. I'm going to use my life coaching degree
1: to model the behavior that I teach all my many, many clients in situations like this. We don't name call. We respond with a positive affirmation about the other person. You're looking very fit. Uh, Apparently all that weight you lost was the good Roseanne. How could you have
2: voted for him, Roseanne? He talked about jobs, Jackie. He said he'd shake things up. I mean, this might come as a complete shock to you, but we almost lost our house the way things are going. Have
1: you looked at the news? Because now things are worse. Not on the real news. Oh, please! (laughs) So the Roseanne revival on ABC pulled in 18.2 million viewers this week, smashing unforeseen records. And a lot of people are happy about this. Trump supporters are happy that someone on primetime television, is uh, identified as one of them. Donald Trump himself actually called Roseanne Barr to congratulate her for the successful ratings um, in this revival. But not everyone is happy about it. So Ben Shapiro doesn't think that we should be applauding Roseanne as a champion of conservatism and as this culture warrior hero. He said this on the show. Quote, the actual theme of the show is that the only reason you would vote for Trump is for non-cultural reasons, all right? The show is one big lie about Trump. The show is one big lie about conservatives. The lie that the show tells is that the reason people voted for Trump is because they were dissatisfied with the economy and because they were looking to give Donald Trump a chance to fix it. And it wasn't about cultural issues at all. That's not true, he says. And he concludes by saying in 2016, Donald Trump did not win because there were a bunch of dispossessed white people who decided they needed a better way of doing economics. And so they turned to Trump. That's not what happened. What happened is that the culture war uh, was at the front of everyone's mind. 2016 was a culture war. Everyone knew it. It was a culture war over race and over feminism. And the left knows it too. And what they're trying to do is suggest that the only conciliation that can take place in the country... Uh, is one surrounding economic issues. So, Kelsey, what are your thoughts about what Ben Shapiro had to say about the show as a whole? Um, in the clip that we played, uh, Roseanne is confronted as to why she voted for Donald Trump. She clarifies that it was purely you know, an economic job kind of reason why she pulled the lever for him. Do you think that Ben Shapiro's assessment of all of this is spot on or do you think he's a little bit off?
0: I agree with Ben Shapiro, but I also agree that this show is good for conservatives in that it does show a non-crazy Trump supporter. I think that there certainly are a lot of Americans who voted for Trump. Uh, primarily because of jobs and the economy. But I also think Ben Shapiro, Shapiro is right to say that Roseanne does not necessarily reflect the reasons why Trump won because we were and are in the middle of a massive culture war yeah. where kneeling for the American flag is a huge issue that we're all talking about around the dinner table. So I think he's right to say um, that that the show is not a full and accurate depiction. But in all honesty, I I just think this means that we need more shows that highlight conservative characters because I'm sure the Roseanne character exists. For some, but there's also plenty of social conservatives who voted on issues like abortion, uh, issues like kneeling for the American flag that don't even really have a policy angle, but they just care about and they see they they see um, they identify themselves more with how conservatives have responded to that cultural issue rather than the other side. Yeah,
1: and you know what? I think that Ben Shapiro is a little bit. Uh, I, I think he's painting with a broad brush when he says that it was only. A culture war in this instance, right? 2016 was solely about a culture war, which it, he is right. It was partially uh, because of that. But, but there were a lot of voters, particularly Midwestern voters um, in Wisconsin and the like, who voted for Bill Clinton both times and voted for Barack Obama and then decided to vote for Donald Trump. I think that that clearly shows that, you know, a lot of these people were not motivated to vote for him because of social issues. They were doing it for economic uh, agenda, and there, there, I think that her character and the reasoning um, behind voting for Donald Trump that she expressed, you know, oh, because the economy things weren't working, I just needed someone to shake it up. I think there are a lot of Americans out there who, uh, you know, think exactly along those lines and are happy to see someone depicted on screen like that. And I think you're absolutely right in saying that this is a huge step in a positive direction and showing someone who didn't vote for Hillary Clinton in a way that's, you know, not vilifying them. I think that that's groundbreaking for Hollywood to do, especially. Which is so sad. I know, it's really so sad. Like, Roseanne, I don't even agree with what she said in that clip specifically, but I'm so happy that there's someone who remotely kind of agrees with something that I might think, who's not being vilified or depicted as, like, a knuckle-dragging idiot.
0: My favorite thing is Roseanne went on an interview with Jimmy Kimmel and was talking about why she actually in real life voted for President Trump. And Jimmy Kimmel was pressing her and saying, well, you you used to be socially pretty liberal. What changed? And she goes... I didn't change. You changed. The Democrats changed. You guys left me. I didn't leave you. And what she was really pointing to is just how radical the social agenda has become on the left. And I think this brings us in a full circle, thinking back to some of the earlier stories we covered in the show, Um the the social justice warriors on the left really have gone quite far in their agenda, and I think that's what Roseanne in real life and in the TV show is ultimately rejecting.
1: Yeah, and I think breaking down that third wall a little bit and having her character be also... Herself, You know, she's playing herself in some ways in this show. I think that that's also uh, a groundbreaking way of doing things and being able to do interviews and talk about what she personally thinks and what her character thinks is an interesting uh, phenomenon as well.
0: Hopefully she got through to Jimmy Kimmel just a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> but that wraps up our show for this week So thank you all so much for tuning in If you know a problematic woman Please let us know You can follow my work at The Daily Signal And on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness
1: And you can follow me on Twitter At Brand And read all of my work over at TheFederalist.com
0: this podcast is a collaboration of the Daily Signal and the Federalist and is produced by Lauren Evans of the Daily Signal, who you can follow on Twitter at Lauren Eliz Evans.
1: And if you like this podcast, which we know you do because you're watching it <laughs> or listening to it, please support us by rating and subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you sharing problematic women with your friends and for supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for America's culture.